I've always just lived below my means, so I've always been frugal and still to today, um, still very frugal. That's how I've been able to successfully buy, you know, four properties in, mm. I think, 17 months. And it just... Wait, hold up. And how old are you again? 26. Whoa. It is impossible to anticipate where the two monsters which suddenly appeared in the atomic area will attack next. If your power goes out, remain calm. At it. We're back at it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode eight of the First Hit Podcast. Today's very exciting. Today, we're sitting down with my very good friend and the queen of Philadelphia real estate, Brittany Nettles. She's the founder of She Moves Philly, a team out of the Keller Williams Philadelphia group who last year did over 50 million in sales and were the number one small team. Is that correct, Britt? Yep. Correct. Nailed it. Nailed, Nailed it. it. Mm. We're fired on. up. We're fired up here to come back. Talking big money today. Excited we to be are. here, guys. Big, big money. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Man. So I've been working with Brittany for how long now, Britt? Since I got started. Four years. Yes. You so, were one of the first people that I met in this business. Yeah, and now we're dream team. Now we're here. We're here. Started from now the bottom. Doing, <laughs> now we're doing a podcast. <laughs> so speaking about how me and you started, why don't Britt, you touch on what got you into real estate and how it started for you? Yeah, so um, I was 22 at the time, and when I was 18, got started in, uh, I guess, entrepreneurship. I was in a startup company. We were slinging gluten-free bagels, so I was in the food industry. Shout out to Alex. I was all food, nutrition, all that fun stuff. Um, so that I was with the, the bagel business for about uh, four years, we'll call it, and there I learned, you know, the um, scaling a small business, sales, marketing. We um, scaled from a small shared kitchen to a 10,000 square foot manufacturing facility. So just learn the nuances and the ins and outs of small business and scaling. And then, uh, you know, fell in love with sales and connecting with people and building relationships and working really, really, really hard for something. Um, but ended up, I, I have a business partner, which we didn't shout out just yet. So just I yet. actually, yeah, um, I started the business originally four years ago as she moves Philly and then brought Britt on about two years ago as an official business partner. So she and I are 50-50. So shout out to Britt. She was my, she's my better half, I, I always say. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to um, how I got in the business, uh, I feel like I plateaued at 22. You know, I just wasn't super passionate about what I was doing anymore and I was working really hard for somebody else. So I ended up just pausing and figuring out what the hell I wanted to do. And at that time, I wasn't really sure, but, you know, I actually thought that I wanted to go into pharma and like big corporate world, which sounded really enticing because I was watching like all my friends with these cushy, just like nice salaried jobs. And here I was never making more than 25 grand and busting my ass. And, um, you know, it, it, it paid off in the long run because I learned the invaluable skills that I, I learned um, now that I carry into my business every day and practice now. So can't couldn't put a dime on that. But anyway, plateaued and ended up um, actually through an ex. So shout out to him. He knows who he is. Oh, ended up <laughs> meeting you <laughs> my mentor, um, Jack Barry, who Jack is, you know, who connected me and you, Al. Uh, but Jack was, you know, uh, he was at Keller Williams. He was an agent of 10 plus years and you could tell that he just loved what he did and it was inspiring and he was enthusiastic and definitely an expert and he was fierce as hell. And I'm just like, I want to be that when I get older. <laughs> He's so fierce. He's so fierce. You look him at the eye, in the eye and like, you, you're not doing anything wrong, but you just get so nervous and intimidated mm-hmm. by him. But he's just the sweetest guy who backs you up and just genuinely gives a damn, right? If he's, mm-hmm. if you're in his circle, like he loves you so hard. Um, and I admire that about somebody. So, you know, I fell into Jack's circle naturally and, um, he was like, you have what it takes to be successful in this business. I said, all right. And that, along with a few other people who were surrounding me at the time. So I said, all right, well, only if you mentor me, cause I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Um, you know, didn't know the difference between a buyer and a seller, you know, a listing, what the heck is that? Let alone, you know, I grew up in Philadelphia, so I knew the market pretty well, or at least the area is pretty well, not so much the real estate market, but you know, you learn as you went. And the key was surrounding yourself with the right people. So I took a leap of faith and uh, I joined Keller Williams. And I can explain a little bit more about that later. Um, but Jack took me under his wing and he was my mentor. And, you know, the rest is history. Mm. So now we're here as a $50 million team. Jack, that. Jack dresses so good, man. Oh my really? God. 
I, I f- I'm sorry. Like we would hang out on the weekends. You, so to Kenbe, one reason I'm very scared about this being successful, the podcast. <laughs> what do you mean scared? Is um, I'm very scared. Is Dikembe is going to dress like like Grammy bougie <laughs> if we blow up? What you talking about? What People got to know. Yeah, you got look. You got look the part. Like crocodile shoes. <laughs> look good, feel good, perform good. That's how Jack dresses. Like Not you're gonna dr- shoes, but go shopping at suits. Boyd's all the time. Yeah, Which Boyd's I'm like exclusively. Even your underwear is. from Boyd's. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a nice balance. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be a nice balance. But I did actually, sorry, Jack, to, you know, uh, share your secrets, but he actually shops by the mannequin. So he will have whatever the mannequin is wearing. And that's how he's so well-dressed. No. Because those are the best outfits. Boom. You walk. Mind you, blown. Think of how many times we walk in the store and I'm like, look at that mannequin. Dude, that's what you I did could with be your, your cardigan, your I sweater outfit that you showed you up. See? So I took major inspiration from that, and now, not exclusively, but on the days that I want to splurge a little, I'm like, I'll have whatever the mannequin is having. Mm. That looks great. I'll wow. take that. Wow. Y'all yeah. hear that? That's a big tip. Y'all hear that? That's power moves. We'll have, you like, just walk mannequin. in the store. That's a big tip. I just want everything jam. that mannequin has on. Kind of like bigger pockets, like quick tip. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, I love that. That's I love quick. that. Had to go there. That's our quick tip. Just walk in and just buy what the mannequin's wearing. Dikembe, what, what questions do you have for Brit? Since I know you're you're getting started, oh, and you're, you've I have been so looking many. At, yeah, I have so so many. I don't even know where to begin, um, but I do know where to begin. Okay. So you were talking about your, you know, when you were first getting started, when you were making that transition from, you know, kind of your consistent, you know, day job that you weren't really enjoying anymore, and then hopping into the world of real estate. You had a mentor at the time, someone who was going to kind of, you know help you along the way but at the same time it's this it's a scary world to jump into anything that doesn't give you a consistent paycheck is scary Mm -hmm. right so for people out there who are looking to get into the world of entrepreneurship or even into the world of real estate like myself how did you kind of ease that transition like how how did you make it easier on yourself or what were some things that your mentor maybe told you to do to help you get across that yeah so good question um a few things like lifestyle. I've always just lived below my means. So I've always been frugal and still to today, um, still very frugal. That's how I've been able to successfully buy, you know, four properties in mm. I think 17 months. And, um, but yeah, when you first get started, just wait, hold up. And how old are you again? 26. <laughs> She's a beast. Whoa. She's a beast. Work hard Whoa. and hard work pays off, but also get creative and we can touch on that too. But you know, it's, it's a really beautiful and like rewarding and liberating job. Mm-hmm. And, um, but going back to your original question, um, you know, live frugally, uh, you know, there is a benefit to not making a lot of money, you know, especially when you're young, you know, just don't spend your money carelessly. Um, but I've always just lived very uh, leanly with very little overhead. Um, so when you first get started, just like, you know, check out your finances. If you're diving in full time with real estate, the rule of thumb is um, have about six months of savings uh, because you generally don't see your first paycheck for about that time period in a normal world. Um, I saw mine probably within two to three months Um but yeah, live frugally, try to just evaluate your finances when you dive in. And then after that, I mean, the world of real estate is really intimidating because there's just so many things that you can do. You can be a rental agent, you can be an exclusive like listing agent, you can be a buyer's agent, you can um, you know, start a team, be an individual agent. There's truly just so many avenues, number one, that you can take, but there's alternatively just... Um, so many ways to approach the business too. So what I really liked about Keller Williams and more importantly about having a mentor out of the gate was I had a little bit of direction, but more importantly, accountability. So every week, Friday at 7.30 a.m., we already talked about how intimidating Jack is, like Jack was or is was. Um, But I, I looked forward to those times, but I was like, very like I went in with my tail between my legs because I was like okay what are we working on this week like you know it's all about like scrutinizing your business business scrutinizing you developing game plans and I was just very intimidated but we stuck to it every Friday uh, he was my accountability apart accountability partner I originally planned to join Jack, Jack's team uh, that was originally the 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 deal if you will but I ended up just kind of finding my own voice through my regular meetings with him and branding and marketing is my thing. So I had fun leveraging social media, which is a whole nother thing I can get into too. You know, what is your going to be your marketing sure. approach mm-hmm. when getting into real estate? Do you want to do door knocking? Do you want to do like paid Facebook marketing? Do you want to host open houses? Um, there's again, just like so much you can do, which can be very overwhelming, but the same way that you approach 
maybe your finances and like being lean, be lean on also the real estate end and try out a few things, but try only a few things at a time when you're diving into your own business. If you start on a team, then that's different. You have a little bit of a built-in like um, game plan, but if you're starting individually, narrow down a few options, spend time with them too, because you have to do the trial and error thing, but make sure like you try them out to see like consistency, like what works, but also what doesn't. And, you know, I guess eliminate that if it doesn't work. So I can give you some more firm examples, but hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, no, that definitely, (laughs) definitely was good. Um, As far you were talking about when you started, you know, leveraging like social media to help you like brand yourself when you got into it. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Like, how did you start building your brand? So I was actually a food blogger before I got into real estate. So I just rebranded from freckled nettles. Oh, so, <laughs> so that's where it comes from. All the, the touches yeah. on the restaurants and mm. the Monday newsletter. I'm a foodie at heart. Yes. Yeah. And like I, I, I'm grateful because I had a knack for that. When I was in college, I started at Arcadia, later graduated from Penn State because I took my degree full-time online. But I started a food blog, and it was like freckled nettles, and it was healthy living and food blogging and just like kind of doing a daily like um, recap of my life, right? And just immersing yourself in an online community, which was a lot of fun. But when I went into real estate, uh, I did actually drop blogging like way before I went into real estate, but I always kept up with the Instagram and the Facebooks of the world. So when I dove into real estate, rebranded to She Moves Philly and just, you know, did a complete overhaul of what I was sharing, but I'm still kind of sharing the same thing at the same time because Mm -hmm. a lot of it's just like food, center city, coffee, you know, which is, you know, just things that I'm passionate about. And now I pepper in real estate and who doesn't love like looking at houses, right? I think a lot of people spend a lot of time shamelessly surfing Zillow, Redfin, Trulia, just almost as their part-time job even if they're not shopping you know people are curious about Mm -hmm. you know what's going on in their neighborhood so yeah i think it's a part of you know the dream that everybody has you know buying the nice the nice family home you know settling down yeah and another thing too that i think gave me a leg up on social media was i was just naturally good at story storytelling and um it just kind of came naturally so you Mm -hmm. share like what you do and i think the people who are good storytellers regardless if you're selling real estate if you're living in a desert with your dogs which is actually somebody that i I follow religiously and like love and someday i'll go live in a desert with my dogs too but no matter what you're sharing i think if you're storytelling really well and you're doing it genuinely like people subscribe to that Mm -hmm. right and they will start following you consistently and engaging and then it becomes referrals and you know whatever the product is that you're sharing in my case it's real estate you know that's how i've built a lot of our referral base too is from social media because we're consistently posting home buyer success stories, seller success stories, like winning multiple bid scenarios. Um, but then peppered in between, it's a lot of the team shenanigans, mm-hmm. like me and my business partner, her name's Brit. And, you know, we, we brand ourselves as the Brits and we have a lot of fun, both online, offline, you know, together as business partners and then also as friends. So there's a lot that you can do with social, social media, but besides like the cold, hard daily real estate stuff, mm-hmm. we pepper in a lot of things. So love that. Is there a science that you guys have be behind like timing of posts or like have you noticed like you're do you you're follow frequent. like the the social media analytics and all the algorithm fun stuff that's built into it or do you just kind of organically post whenever you feel is right i wish that i was that sophisticated <laughs> and savvy but mm-hmm. like i just post yeah, so like you do. I do. And, you know, I like like blogging is a hobby. Like I call it blogging. It's not like that full time work and it's an ancillary part of our business for sure. Um, But there isn't a super calculation to it all, Mm -hmm. although we did hire our our first full time marketing person. So shout out to Mackenzie. But uh, she is helping us, you know, really fine tune things and dive into the analytics because the data is everything. Other than that, we don't take ourselves that seriously. <laughs> we just have fun with it. I mean, you have mastered it, though. You're pretty good at it. Thank you. Like, when you walk through, or I always look forward to your stories, or you, you definitely have a certain angle the way you film the houses, though. <laughs> like, when you walk in, you're looking for your listings and stuff. That's a play, right? Yeah, and, I mean, one thing that you'll learn about me is, like, it's a blessing and a curse, but I'm a creature of habit, whether it comes to, like, my morning routine, my eating habits, like, what I'm doing with my work, but also my social media. It's, like... There is something that I do just steadily, and we talk about consistency, but the consistency is also in my 
my stories and, you know, my social media feed too. But that I think translates to your brand. You know, everybody has mm-hmm. a unique identity and how they do things, which I think is truly going to diversify and set people apart from one another because, you know, touching back to being a realtor and being in real estate, I mean, there's over 7,000 in Philadelphia alone. So like yeah. what sets you apart? You know, there's a lot of competition, but, you know, we try not to get that far because we truly live in our own, like, isolated world of just Shima's Philly, and we're the only realtors in Philly that exist. <laughs> um, just kidding. But do things consistently and do things your way, and I think that's really important. So um, just touching on posts real quick, just because you had an Instagram story today, or was it last night with the, the bid war? Oh, yeah, last, or this morning. Yeah. So you, so so Brittany won, just to let everyone know. Brittany mm-hmm. and her client won a bid war that had 23 23 offers, offers yeah. on a home in Philadelphia. What What's the environment like right now? Is that everything? Have you been going to war constantly because of the environment? So I guess touch on that. Yeah. So m- my interactions with buyers are a little bit changed um, right now. So for example, like when I have initial buyers consults, meaning like, you know, just giving, having the initial consult, what are you guys looking for? Here are our expectations. Here's what to, here's the, an overview of the process. Um, another thing that I'm discussing right now is how many offers you should anticipate to make before you finally go under agreement. Like you, Al, like you had the be- the luxury of making one offer and you got the house, right? You didn't have any, yeah, didn't have any competition. And uh, like, I'd say that was traditionally the world for the past, at least for going on five years that I've been in the business. Like if my clients wanted to make an offer, sure. Like there were, okay, there was competition, maybe uh, one time every seven houses, right? Which was not a lot, but almost every single house that my clients are making an offer on today, because there's such a severe inventory shortage, there is a multiple bid scenario, especially in the suburbs. In the city, it's not as fierce where there's not multiple bids on every house, but if the seller prices it appropriately, there is pent up demand for Philadelphia because you have people from New York City, Boston, LA, mm-hmm. Baltimore, like coming from all of these very inflated pricey cities coming to Philadelphia where the, believe it or not, the average price point is about $260,000 to buy a house, right? So mm-hmm. what I'm seeing a lot of uh, people come down, trickle down from Brooklyn, what you'd pay for upwards of $2.5 million up mm-hmm. there. Same thing with Boston. You pay for $650,000 down here, which is, yeah. you know, comparing apples to apples, like it's not that much money, you know? Um, but anyway, going back to your original question, I told you I go on tangents. Um, <laughs> it's all good. Um, yeah, the, the climate, it's intense. I'm preparing my clients to uh, make a minimum of four or five, six offers before they land on their feet. I'm also working with clients who have struck out, unfortunately, 11 times right now. So it's intense. I say have thick skin. It's not you. It's the market. Um, but you know, it's always, you, you have to go in strong these days. People are, are waiving inspection contingencies, which I can explain a little bit more what that is, but appraisal contingencies, mortgage contingencies, they're, you know, escalating over, over, I've seen a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars over, over less price, depending on the price range that you in, you're in. So it's intense. You have to have thick skin as a buyer right now. As a, as a seller, it's beautiful. You know, I represented a seller. We had 40 offers on the property. Mm. And That's it's insane. like a new level of like even being a listing agent. That sounds wonderful. But like combing through 40 offers because mm-hmm. there's like nine documents associated with one offer. It's also created so much more work for not only us, but like our admin team too and our sellers. So it's grueling on both sides, unfortunately, but you know, this is what we do and we're learning a boatload. So we're like, we'll make it out on the other side and just come out even stronger. What in, um, what formulates a good offer? So if you're sitting there and you have your admins combing, what are they combing for? Like, what are they highlighting that'll catch your eye, I guess, as the listing? Or if you're trying to grab a property, what encompasses a great offer to make you stand out other than you? <laughs> well, I that appreciate the that. Truth. Well, I appreciate that mm. little ego stroke. Um, but I mean, my off my answer to that is always it depends because it truly depends what is the seller looking for. Like that's the first thing that I do when my seller my buyers say, Britt, we want to write an offer, what do we do? I say I'm calling the agent, I'll ask the question, say why are they selling? What are they looking for? Some agents are ironclad and will not tell you anything. Other people will say they want this settlement date, they're looking for this price, they're looking for these terms, and heads up. Uh, we do have five other offers, right? So I always ask, do you have any other 
offers or interests because that's going to help us determine how competitive we as buyers need to be. Anyway, on the seller side, it really does depend because it does depend what the sellers are looking for. When do they need to settle? You know, are the buyers flexible? Who is the buyer? Um, it's controversial, but you know, writing a cover letter, I advise my clients on these days because it it humanizes the offer and gives the sellers a little bit more detail into who the buyer is, right? Like maybe they both went to Penn State or maybe they both are in certain kind of trades or maybe they both have passions for landscaping. And, you know, depending on how in tune and connected with the community the seller is, like it might be really important to them who they're bringing to now bring in to bring into the neighborhood and ultimately buy their house. So I've had clients win solely because of their cover letter, not because of price. So it's not always about price, you know? So it is a little bit more calculated and there is, it's more of an art than a science. Um, but you know, rule of thumb, most sellers care about how much money they're getting and how quickly. So, you know, that is the first rule of thumb. The second is how clean is the offer, meaning how many contingencies do you have? So how long is your inspection period? Are you negotiating on any repairs? Are you accepting it as is? Are you waiving your inspection contingency period entirely? Are you waiving appraisal? Are you offering to bring 50k worth of any appraisal discrepancy? Because that's something that people are doing right now. Um, there's various ways to sweeten the deal, but it just truly depends on the seller, the house, and the dynamic of the uh, scenario. So, yeah, it's. It, I mean, Philly's a crazy area right now in general. When you Break it down, right? Because we have a lot of local listeners. Are there any areas that you see that are certain like hotspots that people are really diving into or shifting into now? Because there are certain areas, right, that since we've been here, we've been in Philly, what, 10 plus years now? It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Wow. Um, we have been here 10 years now. Yeah. That's crazy to think about. And Guys, you think about it. We get old. We this is it. So yeah, we're, we're old people. <laughs> Alex is turning 30 this year. Wow. Shut the front door. She's not going to so be happy she... you said that. She is zero. not going to be. Ha- I'm going to throw her a surprise party. Okay, she does. It's not as she listens to the pot. I'm going to throw her a surprise party. It's going to be okay. really good. Maybe she won't listen to this episode. Maybe she you won't throw her a surprise party, mm. and we'll do something even more epic. Yeah. You're okay. welcome, Alex. Yes. There we go. I like it. I like it. Day after party. <laughs> Back to what you were saying, right? <laughs> Any areas right now, right, that are really that people can start looking at or should start looking at in the next few years? Because when you look at places like Northern Liberties, like Fishtown, right, like all these places, Brewery Town. Places that didn't really exist, you know, a few years ago. Well, with the level of development and construction, do you see any area that is going to be that next hotspot? Um, in Philadelphia, like right now, a lot of the hotspots. So let me backtrack. So where she moves Philly, but we also cover the surrounding county. So like I grew up in Bucks County, currently live okay. in Bucks County. Um, we do a lot on the main line. That's like where the multiple bid, the 23 offer scenario was on the main line. So we do Montgomery and we do Delaware County as well. Mm. We usually don't go further than that. Right now, the hot spots are like Maniunk, Roxborough, Lafayette Hill, Chestnut Hill, and then the surrounding counties because a lot of people are flocking to grass and mm. like a lot of their, you know, traditional five-year plans of, okay, we'll live in the city for five years and then we'll like move are turning into like two-year plans because of the pandemic. People are working from home. They're craving more space. I mean, I'm, I fell victim to that too. I lived in my condo for eight months and then we bought in the burbs and my dog is a much happier animal now because of that. So, uh, but anyway, a lot of people are, the pandemic has definitely shifted the market uh, almost tenfold. Same thing with the idea of like working remotely, um, just not limited to the idea of like having more space. It's the, the lifestyle flexibility now. But you're seeing more activity out in the burbs. You're seeing activity in Center City as well, um, mostly in uh, zip codes like 19146, 19147, which is Queen Village, Graduate Hospital, Point Breeze, mm-hmm. Fishtown, Old Kensington, East Kensington, Brewerytown. It's crazy what's going on over there. It's wild. And we represent, you know, builders. Mm-hmm. Building has slowed down for sure. Like my developer is like, I called him the other day. I'm like, yo, it's like eerily quiet. Or yeah. is that just me? He's like, no, it's eerily quiet. I'm like, okay, then I'm not, you know, too concerned then. But the areas that you'll see um, appreciation, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, but I deal or usually it's on the fringe. So it's like Strawberry Mansion, which is like just above Brewerytown mm-hmm. where they're starting to develop now. 
Same thing um, with like this area just between, it's called Cecil B. Moore. Mm-hmm. It's just between East Kensington and Temple. Mm-hmm. So just above Cecil B. Moore where it's like creeping up to Lehigh. Areas of Port Richmond, um, Harrogate is actually coming around now, which is, you know, mind-blowing. Not to touch, touch on drugs, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's the biggest drug corridor in the U.S. A lot of people are migrating out of yeah. there um, because of the construction. So, you know, gentrification is happening and, again, controversial. But these are the areas that people, um, developers included, focus mm-hmm. on. Um, owner-occupants, developers, investors, it's not just limited to developers. So you'll start to see it, these areas turn. Same thing in West Philly with, like, Cobbs Creek. One of my buddies from yeah. KW, um, Rodney Ross, he is actually his slogan is the real estate boss you should also follow him if you're into real estate he's wonderful but he's pioneering a lot out in Cobbs Creek too and you know you're just seeing it kind of everywhere Mm -hmm. so you know you touched on gentrification you know uh kind of working with builders developers you know just before this we were talking about the difference between working with a wholesaler you know working with an agent Mm -hmm. In this world right now, how can someone who owns their home, right, and is trying to make sure that their community doesn't just blow up into something that looks completely different from what it was, right? How can they protect themselves from the wholesaler who's just coming in and saying, okay, I'm just going to pay you, you know, 60000 for your home when it's really worth double the amount? Yeah, so... There's actually a new thing that Philadelphia just rolled out, and I haven't been studying it, so forgive me if I like butcher this a little bit, but I do know that effective this year or coming soon, um, wholesalers do need to carry licenses mm-hmm. in the city of Philadelphia. So yep. it can't just be, you know, Al wakes up, decides doesn't want to do his full-time job and decides to become a wholesaler and wants to go, you know, approach these people. You need to now pass some kind of licensing program and now you're held to a higher standard so mm-hmm. the the controversy around wholesalers was that they're not they're not licensed agents right mm-hmm. realtors are part of the greater pennsylvania association of realtors and we're held to a higher standard actually that of not quite an attorney but that of an attorney because we're handling documents yeah. and ethics and all that fun stuff wholesaling not held to any of that standard which was the big issue at hand for a long time so now with the licensing, it is changing how the world of, you know, that approaching, you know, we're undermining you. Mm-hmm. They unfortunately prey on desperate folks. Sorry to all my wholesaler friends, but it's just the fact of the matter. But you can protect true. yourself mm-hmm. by consulting with uh, a realtor. Mm-hmm. You know, our job is to tell you, hey, like your house is worth this price. You know, like most times realtors, some, there are some, you know, shady realtors out there, but for the most part, we have your best interest in mind. I know that our team does and, you know, we're not going to misguide you and we're going to give you, you know, the the right value. I say, I always tell my clients, I'm like, listen, the more that you make, the more that I make because I'm commission based, but I'm not going to waste my time and waste your time overpricing this thing. So we're going to price it appropriately. Here's the numbers, but also tell me what you need. If you need to clear a certain number, I'm going to say, okay, that's realistic. Let's give it a shot. Mm-hmm. But also if you tell me what you need, you're like, this is my bottom line. I need to clear this. And we're going to make sure that we get that for you. You know, we don't, we're not wizards. We can't wave our magic wand and get yeah, you a certain number, but we're always going to act with integrity and tell you realistically what your your house is worth. So I would recommend to anybody who ever gets approached by that, you know, consult with um, somebody who is not that person approaching mm-hmm. you. And hopefully it is a realtor because they will give you just maybe a better peace of mind. Mm-hmm. But that would be my first, you know, response. Yeah. And no, I think, I mean, the world of wholesaling is crazy. I remember, well, I don't know, Bert, if you remember when I was first telling you when I started learning about it, you know, and I was also like working insurance, you know, and at the time, you had a lot of time to just drive around, you know, so you learn about the things like, you know, driving for dollars, you know, looking mm-hmm. for distressed properties. So as a part of, you know, my learning about wanting to get in real estate, I just started trying to identify these properties. But then when you start really diving into what wholesaling is, it goes back to what you were saying. It kind of lacks the, well, depending on how you go into it, it lacks the ethics, it lacks the integrity, the transparency of the job, right? Yeah. Because if, say you own your home and I go to you and I say, oh, you know, I can, I'll buy this for 70000 Knowing very well it might, after renovation, probably sell for two fifty, three hundred, and then I find a buyer who wants to buy it from me for one hundred and fifty thousand. You have no idea what my what my rate is going to be off of that. You know what they call like the assignment fee. Yeah. And working in you know, I work in the financial industry now, and I'll have people who come in looking for you know loans for their first to purchase their first time properties, refinance. They'll come in and talk to me about people who say, oh, you know, I want to buy this or they'll have someone who presents an offer to them and say they're looking to buy this home from me what should i do and it's crazy to see what 
or how quickly someone will come off their home just for a quick a quick offer yeah and now i do want to say like they're not all bad right i just what i'm referring to is like the bad that i've experienced and i think the bad Mm -hmm. that you're referring to of like somebody like because there are people out there who will take advantage but the wholesalers that i know are good for the most part and um there is an ecosystem too so like i can't like knock them entirely Mm -hmm. because they get you like us as realtors like our investor clients love off-market deals so yeah. they bring us the off-market deals so there's an ecosystem so i exactly. really tread that's, lightly that's what like made me want to get into it respect yeah. to all wholesalers out there you're not bad but there's some mm. bad in your industry similar to real real estate like i mean like yeah. similar to like my world of being a, a realtor a licensed realtor um so i want to make that clear but there is an ecosystem so like you know and there are some people who just desperately need the cash too Mm -hmm. so like they are there to show up and it might be perfect timing so there's a reason why they're successful and they're in business because there are people who are doing it right and doing it ethically but there are some people which we were referring to initially who do take advantage of the the system and of the people so it's it's a delicate topic for sure but i do think that the city is doing right in now licensing these people because i do think that they serve a purpose and they're business people like i'm a business person so Mm -hmm. like i can't knock the trade right? right Um, and I do think that they they support my business as well in bringing us off market properties and in turn making our investor clients happy. So, again, it's a it's a good working relationship when done right. That's so, what it comes down to. Yeah. So, so when you touch on your investor clients, what does a, a kid or an individual in our age bracket, right, our area? look like from an investment standpoint what do you need to bring to the table yeah let's say and, like myself yeah what what right. do you how would you guide to Ken I'm looking up you saw you know I was looking at properties I know I was right? like oh you're on Redfin you know I'm What's gonna come up? to you you know I'm gonna <laughs> come to She Moves Philly and say hey Brit, you know I'm, but Brittany I'm looking to buy my first rental property yes you know this is good by the end of this year like what should we start preparing to do let's say tomorrow yes yeah. So I would start with like just the fundamental questions of are you looking at a single family? Are you looking at a multifamily? Because if you're going multifamily and you're occupying the one of the units, then you're going likely FHA financing and you need a lot less down. You can go 3.5% down. You can get seller's assist. You can get in depending on the purchase price, depending Mm -hmm. on the purchase price keyword. You might be able to get in with like $8,000 out of pocket, which is a real life scenario. I've gotten my clients into homes with $8,000 out of pocket and, and it's a multifamily. So depends where do you want to move what kind of property do you want how much cash are you working with if you're buying a single family exclusively depending on the lender so like quick tip to everybody speak to a few different lenders because i do know a few will allow you to lend or lend you or allow you to get into a single family investment with 15 percent down alternative alternative words alternatively And most commonly, you do need 25% Mm -hmm. down. So like the lender that I work with and trust and adore and trust like a brother, shout out to Rob Plotnick Mm -hmm. from Meridian Bank. He's the best. Um, He is the, no, he was the first person that I met. Al was the second. So now I have my insurance and my um, lender. But anyway, uh, speak to your lender. It's generally 25% down and you can only get 2% assist if you're doing an investment property. Whereas if you're doing FHA and you're mm-hmm. doing the multifamily, you can get up to 6% seller's assist, which really gives you some latitude with like out-of-pocket cash because that's usually where people get tripped up is the out-of-pocket cash. It's not always the credit score. It's not mm-hmm. always the debt-to-income ratio. So again, my favorite answer is it depends, but yeah. you tell me what you're looking for and we'll likely find a, figure out a game plan that works for you. And if it doesn't work today, then we'll develop a game plan that's, you know, six months from now, a year from now, we're patient with our clients and, you know, we meet them where they are and we give them the facts on the real estate side, but also the lender, we let the lender do their thing and guide them on the financial end. Not not from a forever home standpoint, but from like a, again, say to Kenway or me, I wanted to buy a property to invest. What's the market like right now in Philadelphia? Like, is is that still low inventory as well? Like, are there not a lot of single families, multifamilies, investment properties available? Well, like, I mean, it's I just, guess then we'll come down to like where you're looking, right? Yeah, as yeah, always, it, zip code it, by zip code. It's crazy, right? The inventory right now? There's just a serious, like, and severe inventory shortage. So I don't know if I mentioned this on live microphone or whether we were just <laughs> babbling before. Yeah, I was going to say on camera or not. Um, but the supply and demand is what is creating these multiple bid scenarios. Like there's just very little inventory and a lot of pent up demand because the interest rate is so low. Like it's historically, it's crept up over the past few weeks, but still it's at a historic low of like 3%. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw my clients, they locked in on a jumbo for 3.375, which is like mm-hmm. my 
condo that I bought as an owner-occupant was 3.375 as a conventional loan, which is traditionally lower. And if I bought that today, I'd probably be like 2.75, right? So things are changing, things are shifting, and it's like this perfect storm of, you know, pent-up demand, low interest rate, people wanting to move. The pandemic is definitely influencing, but also like there's no inventory. So when something new comes on the market, you have one house for every 50 buyers, right? So it's nuts. With that perfect storm, do you think it's going to lead us to where we were back in like 2008 to 2010 with a big crisis? Absolutely not. No? Um, At least in my opinion, like I wasn't old enough to really (laughs) observe and really learn what was going on at the time. Mm -hmm. But the market is not as corrupt. Like Mm -hmm. the the lending industry was corrupt from what I understand. And they have a lot of new things in place that... Mm -hmm. Um, stop yeah yeah, give you know buyers additional protection but also like lenders aren't just lending on any average appraisal right now they're only lending on the appraised value they're not skewing it people are doing things with more integrity and more importantly there's it's regulated a lot more now that's a really good point um and like you said we were all too young to you know have a first-hand experience of what really happened but i think what is it the big short did you watch that movie? Great, great yeah. movie. Yeah, that will give you a clear yeah. explanation. That's everything that I know about 2008 really is from that movie. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Albert, you know my dad worked in the financial industry, you know, worked in banking for 30 plus years. So hearing his explanation, you know, his perspective of what happened, it goes back to what you're saying. It lacked so much regulation. It lacked just the amount of disclosure that was needed from people who were buying their home, you know, and also from the people who were offering these loans. People would walk in and say, oh, you know, I'm working this job maybe for a couple months. You know, I really don't have too much money. Can I get this house out in, let's say, the Poconos, right, where we grew up? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, here you go. They would lend money to a cardboard box to, like to at anyone. that time. Yeah. Right. Was... And then obviously it's going to catch up to you. But, you know, now me, I, I work in banking now, right? Yep. So going back to when the pandemic first started, you saw a lot of the banks kind of just just tighten, tighten down the hatches. You know, they were all the restrictions were going up. So from your credit score to how much you had to have yeah, like down. FHA regulations changed entirely, which cut yeah. out like an entire population of buyers, yep. which was unfortunate. The loan yeah. to value that they were looking to offer, right? Like people, even if you own your home, like if you were looking to say, I want to tap into now a, a HELOC, I want to get a home equity line of credit on my home. Oh, well, you have to have, we're only lending this much right on the property because a lot of the banks are saying, what happens if we end up in the same situation we were in 10 years ago? They were ago? afraid of a collapse, which yeah. was a result of it, right? Yep. But I think we're just in a much better position now where um, also people, I mean, I say this lightly, but like aren't losing so much of the job, mm-hmm. you know, like the the um, employment rate I think is increasing, right? Hopefully I'm saying that yeah. accurately, mm-hmm. not entirely sure, but won't go there. Mm. Anyway. Um, they did have an increase last month. Yeah. <laughs> so we're yeah. slowly creeping back up. But I think we're just in, steps. yeah, all things considered, I just think that we're in a, a little bit of a better place. Yeah. So we're in a better place, obviously, than 2008. That's great. Um, but how did COVID? What happened to She Moves Philly during COVID? I, you were mm-hmm. ripping, <laughs> and clearly you didn't slow down, right? You Record year last year. So how did you adapt? You're, you're a business owner, right? And you master social media. How did you have to pivot? What did the change look like to remain successful during COVID? And Tell us about any tribulations you had. Or... Yeah, that's also a really good question. So, yeah, it, it was terrifying because Britt and I like looked at each other and we we're like, oh my God, did we just have the best, you know, two years together for best years of our life? Like in real estate, is this like it? Are we, you know, did we peak? What is happening from here? But, you know, we hunkered down and we leaned into our resources. You know, I called my lender. I called my title company. We leaned into our brokerage. That's why I love KW is because like my broker of record, number one, and my um, uh, OP, my principal, um, operating principal, he is just badass. And he is a business person as well. Like he's not just there, you know guiding everybody Mm -hmm. and making sure everybody plays nice in the sandbox but you know we leaned into our broker how do we handle covid how do we sell houses safely like what are our liabilities here like we just asked all the questions same thing with our brokerage you know 
well, we all kind of turned into one big mastermind overnight and like just rapid learned as much as we could within a week. We all scrambled. Um, I don't know if you guys, you, you are studying real estate now, mm-hmm. but uh, have you read Shift by Gary Keller by any chance? I have not. It's, I'm not. So Shift by Gary Keller and mm-hmm. Millionaire Real Estate Agent for those of you who are looking to get into real estate or learn a little bit more about the market in general two really great resources um they talk about them um as like the real estate bibles Mm -hmm. not because they're keller williams i'm not just solely drinking the Mm kool-aid i promise i drink a lot of the kool-aid but in this case um even bigger pockets which we've already referenced to another great um podcast and real estate resource but they refer to them as a real estate bible but going back to shift like i binge shift i like just turn to as many resources as i could but what we did to personally pivot was not just leverage our resources and make sure that all of our files were closing on time because a lot of like title companies like tightened up and they mm-hmm. clammed up the same way that lenders just like you yeah. said did too and were like they scaled back so our brokerage continued to close properties, continued to screen people, eliminated how many people were at the settlement table. Like we just had to keep people moving because I was also dealing with client, working with clients who were expecting, had a baby on the way, they needed to get in the house, their leases were up. Like, te- like housing almost became an essential service, but it wasn't officially recognized as that. So we had to dance around it. And again, we did everything above board and above board and legally. I didn't see my clients for the first two months of the pandemic because we, we literally just operated virtually. So aside from the resources side of things, we kept things moving, kept things settling. Fortunately, communication became paramount. Um, and then, of course, just everything went virtual. So we leaned on uh, Zoom calls, Google Hangouts um, for any sellers that we had. My clients, this is my favorite example, like, the clock was ticking and they just bought a wine bar up in <laughs> upstate New York and they were planning to sell their house anyway. But like the pandemic hit and they're like, oh shit, I still need to move. Like my time is not like my life is not stopping just because the pandemic hit. Right. So they're like, Britt, what do we do? I said, let's list it as if we would anything else. But like, you're not allowed to have any showings because the state wasn't allowing it. So we couldn't physically allow anybody despite what the sellers wanted so we would do um, Zoom calls and they just did a virtual tour. So they were acting as realtors mm. and people were buying houses virtually. I'm like, oh my God, this is working. So it was like the first time that we were, we were just taking a shot in the dark. We didn't know if people were going to feel confident enough buying something sight unseen. You're an example, you know, I don't know if you want me to refer to it, but no. you're an example. Yeah, I was going to touch on that. I, I was going <laughs> to ask about it, but I, I am a living example. I bought a home that I had not seen. Yeah, yours is a little different because like you bought new construction, which right. there was framework to begin with, and you may or may not have scurried over there and like checked it out anyway, so Multiple you knew what you were looking at. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Every week. So you're the caveat, but yes. um, most people were buying, you know, owned, occupied homes from 1925, sight unseen, and we went through the inspection process and... You know, that was still kosher. They were allowed to go in, um, the inspectors, as long as the inspectors were still inspecting, because some of them did shut down with COVID, were only allowing just the buyer and the inspector, and the buyer was only allowed to be there for like a half hour, right? So they just limited the amount of interaction, the amount of people. Um, So we went virtual, we're able to still sell houses. And then um, what we did on the marketing end was any houses that we were representing buyers for, for example, like we weren't just creating our Zoom calls and um, creating videos, but we were also creating videos with our photographer. So we had our photographer now go through, do Matterports, do virtual tours, any kind of content that we could now give to buyers to, you know, digest. And hopefully it was sufficient enough and it did turn out to be uh, sufficient enough and people were still successfully able to buy houses. So we definitely pivoted there and it turned out to be, you know, a successful roughly two months of just working from home which I didn't know that world because you know I'm out at least Mm -hmm. once or twice a day with clients Um, and then you know eventually the world opened back up and we were allowed to go physically show houses again with still the limitations that we have today so no more than two people in the house at a time not including the realtor Um, keep all lights on open closets from a sales standpoint so you don't have to touch things eliminate the amount of touching hand sanitize minimize your time in the house but you know and now we have so much competition that like people are like nearly knocking on the door just as soon as you like step in the house to go see it so we're like rushing and it's this whole thing um and then lastly from a team standpoint what we did when the pandemic first hit was we we just leaned into our team 
because we were so used to seeing each other in the office, being there with our admin. We just hired a brand new admin that week and then the city shut down. So we had to figure out how to onboard our admin virtually while creating that like team environment and creating like that culture that we wanted while like bringing Heidi on board. Shout out to Heidi. She is truly the backbone backbone (laughs) of our team. So it was scary, but we just leaned into our team. We did like daily huddles, which now we still do today. So like a lot of it helped us just innovate as a team and learn how to be agile and like kind of roll with like the world, which I know this isn't the first time that we're going to have to adjust, you Mm -hmm. know? So we adapted and we adapted and I feel like we came out stronger. So, yeah, I think the uh, pandemic definitely showed that with a lot of people, you know, if, if you were able to pivot, you know, if it really brought out that like hustler mentality out of a lot of people. So, or I mean, for some people, maybe it didn't. But that's another topic for another day. Yeah, you know, I mean, it definitely, it definitely showed everyone sink or swim side, mm-hmm. and you yeah. guys swam. We swam, and you we're did. still swimming and trying to keep our head above water. But you know, again, we're just we're we're leveraging what we can. We've had the luxury, um, like this pandemic has afforded us the ability to hire people when a lot of people were losing our jobs. Like we were able to bring on more people and employ people, and that's like the beauty of this business is like not only liberating us. It's not about us. It's about our clients. Our team, we brought on a new marketing, um, full-time marketing person. We brought on a second admin. We have two admin. We have a transaction coordinator. And we have some more agents, like exclusive showing agents. So we're able to, you know, um, share the wealth and the abundance, more importantly. And it's been really cool. So That's awesome. So so before, I do want to touch on food, actually, a little bit with her. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. She, she's been Definitely. around Change to rest Let's talk you about know, food. She looks like a coffee connoisseur so, also. She, you know. she, she, you uh, see my Instagram? I, I, was, I was creeping a little bit. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to say it until now. But, we um, we didn't know, touch we on also, Pilgrim. Well, we were waiting on that. We, we were we waiting on that. We finally went local. This is it. Yeah. This is it. You are know. you drinking Pilgrim? We are. Well, it's gone now. But yes. Fun fact, I went to high school with that girl. With really? the owner? Yeah, her name's Kelsey. I learned that the other Tell day. Tell Kelsey she has Kelsey Breslin, phenomenal out, Kelsey, iced is, coffee. Yeah, I think this and her is husband, the, uh, but I don't know her husband. I think this is the Costa Rican uh, roast they had. It was delicious. I was talking to the guy. Pilgrim Roasters in Mania. You know me. I like to talk to people. Too much. What do you mean too much? <laughs> He's a friendly guy. This is why we started this. Yeah. This is why we started this. Yes. So yeah, shout out to Pilgrim Roasters. Yeah, they, they're phenomenal. You know where it's right next to? I do not. Where we used to get down back in the day. Mad River? No. Yeah, Bad River <laughs> Brew Pub. I act like yep. I went there, but I yep. was just I observed it the other day, and I was like, "Oh, it's no more." Wait, was, you never experienced Bad River one what? time. I'm like a baby grandma. Okay, I started business at 22, and I right. like head down and no. Al, we can and go. Closed. We can't. It's closed. We'll go for Alex's 30th. We'll reopen it for the <laughs> is, it, is it for sale? Maybe we could buy it. Oh, maybe. Oh, that's, that's a good brilliant. opportunity for Alex's 30. This is the this big is, deal. This is it. Wow. See, this is where dreams are born, baby. Yes, this buying Bad River for Alex's 30. Podcast. There it is. Yes. Buys Mad River. Uh, Brett, so Dikembe actually started in culinary. Dikembe can cook. That's why I came to Philly. So he appreciates it. Where are our snacks? Yeah, Dikembe. That's Next, a good point. Well, you one thing making snacks. one thing I start, cheese we board. talked about, is doing uh, dinner parties. Oh, I love me a nice cheese board. Oh, Etiquette, Dikembe. I'm not good at making cheese boards, no, but I love someone who can prepare a nice cheese board. So I don't know what the hell I'll talk about in the next episode, but I'll be here for another podcast, yeah, and yeah. we'll have snacks. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I'll have a nice spread for you. <laughs> Wow, she's taught us something. We need to start laying out snacks. Oh, so, listen, it's game over. Food is community. That's why I love food. It creates conversation. It brings people together. How many times do I say that, Albert? Very often. When you're in that's culinary, like, you just get it. But I love hospitality, and that's like what our real estate business is. It's like it's not about the real estate. It's not about the food. It's about the hospitality and the people. That the meet, people. You know? Any new great spots lately, Britt, that you went to? Oh, God, I've been on? such like a hermit. But I... I don't know if I want to share, but like, you know, moving up to Bucks County, there's a lot of new places that I'm exploring up there. Like talk about like places to invest, like Bristol Mm -hmm. in Bucks County is like booming right now with small businesses. There's like a really cool pizza spot called like E-Tree. There's a good coffee shop called Calm Waters, like um, follow the coffee shops people. But yeah, in Center City, I think Three Graces Coffee is a new one that just opened up. It's all women owned. Um, Cake and Joe is actually okay. really good. It's not a full blown coffee shop, but I guess Cake and Joe, but they do these like really intricate, like beautiful cakes, it's like fine pastries. And the hospitality there is wonderful. Love me a nice pastry. Oh my God. They're almost too beautiful to eat. I was looking for some scones when I went to Pilgrim today, but I think they were all out. They and were just then, about to close. I like up, well, not totally by you, but kind of near you, and Conchi. I love Fiend Coffee Shop, too. Yeah, like, it's been there good. for a yeah. long time, but, like, Fiend is an OG that, like, doesn't get recognized enough. And they have a very cool feel in there, too. They're cozy, and they're homemade, and, yeah. like, grassroots, right? They're, like, they do things on their own entirely, and it's delicious, so. Love that. Love that. Brittany touched on her content rec. 
of the week with Shift. Shift. Right. Mm-hmm. Would you say that your so we do a content wreck of the week? Who was it by Gary Keller? So Gary Keller, check out Shift because it'll help you like just adjust in a not normal market, right? Mm-hmm. As an agent, but also millionaire real estate agent. I think no matter what industry you're in, like even if you're not in real estate and maybe you're just in sales, like it touches on so many business fundamentals that mm-hmm. I cannot stress are so important. Um, to anybody's business. So check out those two. And then thirdly, I reference bigger pockets, which is definitely real estate investing. So touching on, you know, how do you get into real estate? There's so many people and going back to the wholesale thing, that's another thing that I wanted to mention with bigger pockets was there's so many wholesalers on that, that like, I just admire Mm -hmm. their story. So like, again, shout out to wholesalers. You guys are good people. Um, but bigger pockets, check that out because there's such a variety of content in there that I think like anybody, no matter what stage of real estate you're in, um, will be able to benefit from. Love that. How about you, D? What's the content record of the week? We have one this week. Um, I'm actually going to go with, I'm going to stick with real estate. Okay. You know, but, um, more of the business side of real estate, right? Because a book that I read mm, a couple months ago was Mindset by Carol Dweck. You ever hear about it? Mm -mm. No. So it's probably one of the, it doesn't focus too much on business, but I think it's great for anyone who is looking to shift, you know, from that, like, consistent day-to-day job who's afraid to making that leap because it talks all about your mindset right and having either a growth mindset or a fixed mindset and where you can go you know and it talks about okay if you are looking at saying take me for example if i'm saying oh you know i would love to you know be where Brittany is you know have the amount of success that she has but i don't know anything about real estate right i don't know where to go and this is only how far i can go that would be someone who falls into the fixed mindset category right as opposed to someone who says, you know what, like like you, when you were first getting into the industry and you said, I have someone here who is going to kind of, you know, maybe help me. But even without that, you still had that faith and that belief in yourself that you can grow beyond where you are right now. And trusting in that mindset is clearly getting you, it's gotten you to where you are now and it's going to continue to improve and help your success in the future. You know, so when I read that book, I think for me, it also made it's funny, it made a shift in my mind, mm-hmm. you know, where All it was just like, okay, too. you know, where even if you, even if your current situation isn't where you want to be, if you just keep an open mind, right, you have that mindset that you can continue to improve day in and day out, you can get to where you want to go, you know, so that's my content, right? Mindset. That's great. Thanks, Bert. That was a good one. How about you? Very inspiring. Yeah. Uh, so mine's <laughs> completely different. Uh, zero real estate inspo. Mine is actually an Instagram page that I just started following. It's called well, we Over the Fire media. Cooking. Oh, yes. So so this is like a dream of mine is to one day own a home, buy a lake, stand out over my lake while Alex is inside, and I make a ribeye <laughs> on the fire. This is literally a vi- – I'm going to make it happen. And this guy's page is all about just cooking um, insane meats and insane recipes over the fire cooking on Instagram. It'll make your mouth water. So. I do see you guys grilling, and it makes me salivate. And I'm like, I'll be right over it, Al. Make yeah, sure you save me a plate, you, you please. Come I see Al. Yeah, no, no, you no. do got to come yeah. Is this house going to be on our compound? In Calabasas. The same one I have where I get a horse. Oh, God. <laughs> what do you mean, oh, God? What, what was that? Kemba wants to. to I love it. Kemba's going to be mayor up in the Catskills. You're going to learn a lot about it. me in the future. Like, right, man, uh, he's put some real thought into this. Like He's already going down the horse trail. <laughs> yeah. With that being said, now Dikembe's on I his horse. To tell people about my horse. Uh, nope. So we're gonna cut it there, folks. As always, thank you so much for tuning in, Brittany. Thank you so much. It's been meant fun. a lot. Thank it's you. been very fun. You rock. Um, as always, as always, everyone, enjoy the first sip. Mm-hmm.